On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. all have great voices. Mm-hmm. Yes, man, yes. Hi, aren't you that guy everybody hates? No, man, no. This is Tall Can Audio. <laughs> Follow along on Twitter at Tall Can Audio or at Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. Just do it! What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside episode 955 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. Uh, for the start of another work week, my name is Matt, his name is Rob, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Can Audio. if you want to get involved with the conversation over there, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening right now. How's life finding you on a Sunday afternoon, man? Really uh, outstanding, mm. to be honest with you. That's really, it's okay. <laughs> Just reeling it's it back fine. in already? Yeah, well, I thought, ah, you know what, I don't even have anything to sell that with. <laughs> It's just been fine, Matt. It's been fine over here. Um, had a little Uber order in breakfast. Ooh. Honestly, I am amazed at, I get it from a, from a diner down the road. It shows up here on my doorstep, piping hot. Like I'm eating it and the hash browns are still <laughs> smoking hot. I am, I am amazed. It's like Jetson's technology. Uh, well, is this new? Because like, I know you guys are a weekend brunch breakfast kind of family, but I was sort of under the impression it was, I was normally you. Yeah, it is. It is normally, it is normally a combo effort here in the house. Right. But, uh, it was just one of those things, right. Where everyone was feeling like a little something and, yeah. and not feeling like doing anything to get right. it. Yeah, so, I get that for sure. Man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, and it's funny because the longer I go with, like after the show here, I'm double dipping usually. Uh, or I'm double dipping this weekend because I like to order a little something in, probably fish tacos tonight. Mm. Um, but I've learned, yeah, they may deliver from a quite a radius around you, but you really got to know where it is and you got to keep it tight yep. to the place because otherwise they're stacking up other deliveries in between. They're picking my stuff up and they're dropping Larry's off like... And it's not going to be anywhere near as hot as you're referring no. to. Yeah. So this place is is literally two and a half blocks from here. Right. Which I, I, I honestly, I could probably walk down and get it, but <laughs> defeats the purpose of my Uber pass. I, I can only say. I get that. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I do know that, yeah, despite the fact that I can get something from further away, I also know that when I get it, it's not going to be to Rob's full standards. So... <laughs> Then there's going to be unhappiness. There's going to be two star ratings and disgruntled man, yeah. disgruntled. Whereas this one, well, I, I like I'm ordering and I went to check on the on the ETA. It, it had literally been 15 minutes, and then I'm like, 
up on the app comes, how was Edgar's service? And I'm like, I'll let you know when Edgar drops it. Because <laughs> as you know, the dog is usually my early distant warning. Right. Right. Okay. Somebody's in the laneway. Hey. But he's upstairs sleeping. I don't know what he's doing. He's doing his ball. Sunday morning thing. Man. Yeah. It's... So anyways, he comes down with me and he's sniffing at the door. And I'm like, okay, look at that. Edgar must have already dropped it off. <laughs> Edgar, five-star service, my Great friend. Great job, Edgar. Wishing I bumped that from 10% to 15%. Didn't yet. even disturb the dog. No, which means <laughs> didn't disturb the baby next door or any other kind of nonsense. So right. all good, Matt. All good over here. What about you? Yeah, we're doing all right, man. It's... uh. You know, just another spring weekend, been taking in a lot of baseball, taking down a couple of pints, and, uh, you know, that's just sort of the world we live in right now. As you said there a little while ago, it's fine. Things are fine, right? And sometimes that's okay. We don't have to, well, actually, going to come off as a shot at you. We don't have to exaggerate that it's great or it's, uh, yep. sometimes well, I, the world just is what it is, right? I do that a lot, and, and you, you've you known me a long time, right? Yeah. People say, how you doing? I'm like, top notch! Yeah. <laughs> outstanding fantastic top drawer you know all those things right and people are like wow yeah. i love that yeah how do i get to be like that and i say to them you need to lie you need to lie more right. often and you need to sell it <laughs> it's true man that is how i roll what are we sipping I, on here i lie <laughs> uh today i'm taking down uh, a, a a pint i referenced a couple of weeks ago um but I felt like I needed to muscle up. I needed to muscle up if I wanted to take this bad boy down. I am drinking the Zap Sour IPA from Nickelbrook. Okay. So yeah. it's telling me that it's going to give me all of my tropical citrusy goodness up front and shockingly sour on the backside. So <laughs> okay. um, I'm going to have a pull on this and I'm going to let you know. Much exactly. like any good weekend, right? Yes, exactly. Well, that's the that, thing's going to go shockingly sour on the back end after a good time. Yeah, I said, <laughs> take yeah. that for so, what it is. I said backside, but I yes. get where you're going with this, yeah. Matt. And so that that to me is the classic Branford 10 pints of Guinness, two pounds of hot wings. <laughs> sour on the back end on the finish, big time. And more for those hanging out with me than than really yeah, for me. For sure. So, anyways, what are you that got? That is not a there? lie. Uh, this is one that, uh, that friend of the show there, Steve Bunda dropped off when they were here Wednesday night for, uh, for a UFC 273 preview show. And, uh, he, uh, he brought a couple of beers to, uh, for a bit of an exchange or kind of counter program, whatever he was going to drink. Um, this is from the Stray Dog Brewing Company, which I actually don't check out too often. I guess they're out in Orleans. That's probably part of it. And I, they, I don't end, yep. they just kind of slipped my mind a bit, but, uh. Uh, this is the 50 Shades of Grisette and uh, had to look that up. Uh, it's apparently, um, it's direct translation, and this actually doesn't sound very appetizing for a beer, is <laughs> Little Grey. And, uh, wow. But I guess as a beer style, it's similar to like a farmhouse ale, but uh, Belgian in origin. And instead of being for, uh, for refreshing farmers, it was for uh, miners. And uh, the Little Grey, I guess, is in reference to both the Little Grey stone they might be working with or the uh, the dress on the, the waitress that might be serving it to them. So uh, either way, um, don't know a whole lot about that, but they say it's jam-packed full of raspberry. Uh, but otherwise, kind of, yeah, a bit of a lighter ale. And uh, I was kind of already sipping on it there while we were getting things up. And, and so it's pretty tart, right? Which, 
which they say up front. So nothing wrong with that. I am, uh, I'm kind of digging it, man. It's something a little different that I don't try a whole lot. So, uh, yeah, not too bad at all. Um, I guess it 50 shades of, of grisette from the, the stray dog brewing company. And it's, it's the little gray is also the uh, complexion of the inside of their lungs. Yeah. For That's all those miners. The clouds they're coughing up. While they're... Exactly. Little gray right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, this over here. Yep. Um, I was expecting a little more hoppy, tropical, fruity goodness in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not getting a pile of it, but I'm also not getting that real sour punch in the finish. Okay. So it, it, but it's kind of treading somewhere in between those two, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not hating it. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel of it, and I do have two of them, so, um, yeah, not bad. It, it, it has a little. It's like um, it's very confused both in the in the start and the finish, right? It sort of looks. It's like muddled, like two different pints of beer poured into the same glass. Well, this one's a strong and enigmatic, so I'm kind of getting the same <laughs> enigmatic. We'll see what that's about. But yeah, it's got a little, uh, like I said, you're getting the fruit to it. I don't like them, as you know. I don't like a sour, really. That's not my style. But this is is kind of just perfect, right? You're, you're definitely getting what they said you're going to get, but it's not overpowering you. Um, and I got a second one here that we'll get to a little bit later on that uh, that Shrides and, and Josh dropped off on Saturday. And... Um, from uh, the Cartwright Springs Brewing Company, which I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I have. I was going to say, yeah, we had the, the the calendar. I've had something. I think it was a spruce tip IPA in the calendar from Cartwright Springs. Other than that, though, I've never, uh, I don't think I've checked out too much of their stuff. So uh, I got what, something here from them that I'm going to get into in a bit. One of the, uh, tell me it's not the stout. Nope. Okay. The stout was in the calendar two years ago, the Cartwright Springs Stout. And it was hands down the worst beer I've tried in recent memory. Hmm. Wow. Like didn't didn't finish kind of bad. Like and, and I, I'm not sure if instead of out of the springs, they took it out of the septic. <laughs> nice. Nay good, man. Nay good. <laughs> so um I actually, yeah, I gave them a poor rating on. And they, they reached out to me and they're like, hey, can we replace What's it? What's your and problem? Like, and I'm like, no, it was that bad. I don't, I don't want another, want another one. <laughs> no, this is it. And so um, you're right. There was the spruce tip or something close to that, which um, I recall being not so bad. But yeah, that, that first one was a real punch to the to the neck. And yeah, I remember liking the spruce tip IPA, to be honest with you. So uh, okay, when I'm talking about the stout. Yeah. So, yep. And you know, I like a stout. I do. But I had to take the flyer on it. So, and look at you, man. You're beer rich over there with people because just dropping shit off, man. Happy well, to. This, this was supposed to be a beer day from LSG. He had dropped a beer off at work for me and you before we uh, ended up back online here. So, exactly. So, we'll push those back down the road. I will save the one that he, uh, he brought for you, but we'll push that down the road to another show. He's going to be disappointed because he was going off last night on uh, the Habs versus Leafs and. He's been tr- he's been pushing for for more Habs talk and and maybe we'll squeeze some in here later. But I told him if there's going to be a Caulfield corner, it's going to be because he sponsored it. And, and there he was, stepped right up and and indeed was sponsoring it. So well, see, I I told him it's the the segment is actually going to be called Galley's Garbage. Yeah, okay. <laughs> as in Galley is and not Galley's possession. Right. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of beef built up there between. Uh, 
between the Habs and the Sens again, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Why don't we start with baseball, though, man? Love uh, it. I got a couple of things here before we get to the Blue Jays specifically. Just some kind of fun odds and ends as I saw it kind of throughout uh, opening weekend. We'll kind of hit them quick before we move on to the Blue Jays specifically. Uh, Sean Manaya recently acquired from the uh, shedding payroll as quickly as possible Oakland A's and dealt to the uh, San Diego Padres. Goes seven innings, no hits, 88 pitches, gets pulled from the game. Reliever comes in and immediately gives up two hits in a row to the first two batters he faces. Uh, this is, I don't know, you and I disagree sometimes on how heavy these teams should be going in on the numbers and the advanced stats and the third time through the order and all these sorts of things. I guess there's a part of this one that is, we had a short camp, like 88 pitches. You, he maybe was getting the hook anyway. Um, but there is a, a conversation to be had that maybe we're losing some of that old school fun that a guy just goes till his arm falls off. Uh, are you pulling a guy, even with all the circumstances we've talked about, who's still no-hitting somebody through seven innings? Not not at 88, not through seven. I, I think I do understand that, yeah, that's a lot of pitches for your first outing of the season with, the, with as you said, that short spring. Mm-hmm. But I think at 88 pitches, no hit, I, I'm, I'm giving him the eighth. For sure, letting him letting him try to bring that home. I know it is a lot, but yeah, I'm still trying. Yeah, uh, Joey Votto. I like this one for a few different reasons, but uh, in his career, this has been a bit of a stat for a while that the guy a never flies out. When he does, it's never to the infield because he always makes a little bit better contact than that. But in his entire career, he had only ever had two flyouts to the first baseman, two to the catcher, and never to the pitcher. Uh, and this is in, like I said, around 9,000 career at-bats until the first game of the season, and he flies out to the pitcher. And as much fun as, I, I just think it's an interesting stat that that's never happened to him in 9,000 at-bats. But on top of it, the uh, we'll drop it in here, the, the commentator man, pretty excited about this. Well, going into tonight's game, Joey Votto had over 8,000 plate appearances in the career, two pop-outs to the catcher in his career, two to the first baseman, and zero to the pitcher until tonight. That's the first time he's ever popped out to the pitcher. Flying down here for this trip, I said, the only thing I want to happen on opening night when we have the game is for Joey Votto to pop out to the pitcher, and then it happened. That's unbelievable. Well, that's your that's your absolutely typical, you know, broadcaster fanboy thing going on there, <laughs> Base, baseball nerdling. You're like, I, I wonder in a season how many times anybody flies out to the pitcher. Period. That the pitcher isn't getting waved off unless it's coming right down on the mound. Sure. That he's not getting waved off. So to me, it's such a it's such a wonky thing to be to get right into. But nine thousand at bats. It has to have happened somewhere, but apparently not. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know, but that's to me. It's yeah. I, you, I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, what about just the scarcity in general of the infield flyouts for this guy? Because he also doesn't ground out a lot. Like when he hits it, he makes contact. Like it's he's unbelievable batter. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is. It is an absolute oddity that you'd think that you know, only two to the first baseman or whatever that was, yeah. right? And, and you look at the number of ones that have to go into foul ground sort of over in that area. Right. You, you still, that, so yeah, the whole thing is an oddity. And, but yeah, for him to get so excited that his voice is cracking. Yes. I'm, I'm just not, <laughs> like that's minutiae. You're deep in it. And hey, I, I love that. 
as much like there's people in this house whose eyes roll right at some of the things that I talk about sports wise and <laughs> likely otherwise. Um, but yeah, this is one of those things where you're like, man, how? Well, know? it sounds like in the and like I said that we've played the clip there, but he says like I think half of the fun is like he had said on the way down like to, on the flight or whatever i want to see this like i want to see this streak end now it is weird that he knew about it i guess in doing his research or whatever but i think that's the part that's got him so giddy is like i i just came here that's all i said i needed to see and here it is like yeah well and you'd expect somebody to go there's a hearty slap on the back for me <laughs> i literally just looked this up yeah but instead it's like i don't know it's like his kid has just got accepted <laughs> to harvard or something it's it's the oddest thing to get voice crackingly excited about. But hey, man, that's a guy who is obviously deep into it. Yeah. Who uh, who's doing his research and so are a pros pro. But Tim Kirkjian of ESPN is his name, and uh, yeah, I don't know much about him. But uh, uh, this one I like quite a bit. I, I think it speaks to lowered expectations, which we could all use from time to time, or have had thrust upon us from time to time, or uh, we've thrust on other people. Sure. Corbin Burns last year set a major league record for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, major league record pitching for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, went 58 strikeouts to start the season before issuing a walk. Like I said, an all-time record. This season, any guess what happened? Walked the first batter he faced this season. (laughs) Well, can can I get back to this? Double back to the beginning of the stat? Yeah, okay. 58 strikeouts before walking anybody. He's a pitcher, so he has struck out. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I was thinking consecutive, and I'm like, whoa. How do you stay in the lineup as a batter? (laughs) Okay, this is a pitcher. No, 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 as a pitcher, I'm thinking Uh, you struck out 58 straight guys. No, no, 58 58 before he walked anyone. It's mixed in, then a walk. Yes. Uh, This year, first battery phases of the season, walks him, and just like, don't be waiting on this. I'm not doing it again. Let's just get that out of the way right away. Yeah, well, nobody likes the suspense, right? There's, the, although Lord knows baseball could use more suspense. Uh, couple, um, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. If you've got a couple more. Couple Just, more we're moving into the Blue Jays ones now. We'll talk about Blue Jays opening weekend, but a couple of oddities there as well. Uh, Adam Simber last year goes 71 and a third innings over the course of the season with, a, uh, with only allowing two home runs. This year, he gives up a home run in the home opener in his first inning of work. Um, not a great start. Like just weird, right? Like some, it happens, but it's just odd that they got to him quite this quickly this time. And the other one on the Blue Jays, Jose Barrios ties a franchise record. This is not the worst start ever. It is tied for the worst start ever for a Blue Jays, uh, season opening game. Uh, this is a little obscure. I don't know. Do you want to take a stab at who else we may have had lead off a, a season for us that didn't do so well? John Cerruti. <laughs> Isn't he a catcher? No. Okay. He's a pitcher. No, that's all. That's what, that's what I got for you. Okay. Jose Barrios. You're not going to. I got it for you here. I, I I don't know. We've we've had some, I don't know, like Ted Lilly or whatever. Some, over the, some yeah, dark yeah. years. Sean Markham. Uh, no, this was all the way back to. 1982, Mark Bomback. Do you remember Mark Bomback at all? Not even, I, I, I've never heard that name before in my life. Well, he may have been drummed out of the league after this start, perhaps. Uh, t- that is the guy who also got through only a third of an inning 
in a season opening game, uh, like I said, back in 82 for the Blue Jays against the Brewers. So I don't know, just some some interesting little tidbits I found interesting anyway, because that's what baseball is. It's all just quirky shit that happens and uh, whatever. Well, and but, go ahead. It's funny that because that's where I was going before you was not only that was Barrios his his all the talk about never walks a guy like his strikeout to walk ratio and then right there in the first inning he's just giving it up yeah and uh you know it, it was funny too in that same way the first ball that gets hit to Matt Chapman our new platinum glove you know, going to soak up everything, turn these unbelievable plays. He can't get it out of his glove, cost Barrios a double play, and the inning continues. Um, it would happen again when Sacedo comes in and uh, and Chapman does, to, or Bichette feeds to Biggio, and Biggio can't get it out of his fucking glove to turn the double play, and the, in, or the, the double play in the inning continues again. Man, a bit of a shit show there throughout the whole first game, but in that first inning especially, just gross, man. Yeah, well... And and all these things that you're seeing, all these sort of you know anomalies or whatever you would like to look at them as, it, it really comes down to. I think the, I think the short the short spring it's part obviously. of it for sure, yeah. And then you have those, especially in that opener, the long opening ceremony. You're mm-hmm. like, oh man, it's just it didn't like appear to Olymp- bug Texas. Yeah, but it's true, man. It's true. But the Olympians and all this nonsense, and you're like, come on, man. I actually, it's funny you say that. I found this to be a far less long, drawn-out, boring ceremony than some other years. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Well, and how about, uh, I don't know, Electric Soul or whatever the name of that, the yeah. people singing the anthem? Yep. Sing the anthem. <laughs> I, I Just give it to me. Don't give me your spin on it. I Hey, you all have great voices. Mm-hmm. Yes, man, Yes. But just sing the anthem. I don't need three layers. I don't need the runs. I don't need this. All like we're showing up on American Idol. Hit me with the anthem and get off the field. <laughs> um, the Blue Jays, before they get on the board, are down 7 nothing on uh, on opening day. And it has that vibe of, like I did, I almost turned it off just because... I'm not giving up on the season. Oh, they're overrated, anything like that. It's just kind of like, okay, this just isn't your night, right? And we'll see you tomorrow kind of thing. And I stuck with it, and they start chipping away and coming back. This is the biggest opening day comeback in 70 years to come back from seven runs down. Uh, No one has... And you kind of go, wow, that's pretty impressive. But it also means you had to get down by seven first to to allow yourself to set that uh, particular... I, would, I don't know if you'd call it a record, but uh, that statistic, um, both the Yankees and Tigers back before the 1930s uh, had had nine and 10 run comebacks in their season openers. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, as we moved through Saturday, again, it wasn't particularly, I, I thought Gosman was just okay. Uh, yep. Five innings, three runs, eight hits. And, you know, but at least in that one, and really, for the most part, on Friday night as well, the bullpen came in and largely did its job, right? Like the bullpen, especially Saturday, when uh, when Gosman came out, they brought in the guys that are supposed to do the job. They went Richards to uh, Garcia to uh, Tim, 
Mesa. Mesa, and then to Romano. And one hit ball for four innings to close things out. That's how that's supposed to work, right? So there's some things there that that looked okay. The Jays today were up 6 nothing When we started recording, Texas had come back and made it 7-6. Um, Top of the fifth, 9-6 Rangers. Yikes. And it was funny, before this explosion... Uh, the Texas got themselves back into the game. Only Toronto and Houston had scored more runs in their first two games of the season, but Texas was 0-2 uh, yeah. just with how that had gone. I don't know, man. Like, in general, what are you taking away from we'll see how this game ends? Obviously, this isn't a, a stellar outing here today, but what's your takeaway from the weekend so far and what you're seeing from them? Well, and, and it's funny because I, I, am, I am stoked for the season but it's almost like I, I've reached a saturation point in in terms of the media coverage and and just how saccharine sweet the the reporting and and I just you're like and and again that whole opening ceremony with this whole next level business and yeah. everything is being geared towards we're championship and and I think those are sometimes things you need to keep internal. You can talk about it. The, that, you know, your, your play-by-play guy can say, you know, expectations are high, you know, but I found just so much of it out in front and all this talk about how, you know, powerful that this lineup is going to be. And I agree it is, but, you know, they had this 162-0 and 0 kind of, <laughs> no, I, I get it. I, I'm just saying it's just, it was, it, was, it was a little much for me, right? And so, yeah, at 7-zip, I actually, I flipped over and I watched an episode of Succession. So... Uh, now I had PVR'd the game, and so after I came down, I went, "Oh, look at that! It's you know eight seven Toronto." So I went back up, right? And I watched it, but yeah, I, I've I've just found it. I found it a bit much to me to be the the coverage. I love watching it. I love watching Vladdy today hit that homer at a hundred and eighteen miles an hour exit velocity, four hundred and fifty seven feet. 462, Matt. Was it? Okay. Yeah. But again, that, it, it was just like, he hit that ball, like, honestly, like it owed him five bucks. And, and it was, <laughs> I love down that. over the five bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That seems like a lot, right? Yeah. To take part of my scalp with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, to me, they're going to hit the ball a ton. It, it, it comes down to the, the, the pitching. And, and, and really, I was interested, super interested to see what was going to happen with Ryu today more than anything else, yep. right? After his, his sort of sketchy second half of the season where he got hit pretty hard last year. And then to watch him through the first three innings today. Hey, look at him look, go. Looking really good. Yep. All the talk about how sharp he is, had the change going, pumping up that fastball to you know, 91, <laughs> um, but looking good. And then, yeah, I was in and out, in and out. And yeah, he was, it was six, one, six, three, yeah, so I just... Uh, yeah, you got batted around there in the fourth, didn't survive it, and then took a comebacker off the leg, but they already had the bullpen up. and um, But it gave them an easy, well, let's take them out for precautionary reasons. Like, yeah. It's so, already, house is already on fire, man. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and so to me, there's, there is, there's questions, right, on, on him especially. And so um, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, but this will even out. Yeah. They'll they'll clamp down on this, but that lineup, the one through nine, uh, I'm I'm interested to see how long before Espinal becomes the everyday second baseman. Since they keep bringing him in, and he keeps getting hits. 
Yeah, and Bijou. Now he's, he started today, I see, but I'll just be interested, right? Because he's so sure-handed and, you know, put a couple pounds on. They keep talking about that, but he's hitting the ball better. So, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm sort of meh with the start, right? Like, I don't know what's going to happen today. They could sweep the Rangers, and I would still feel the same way. I just want to see them sort of get out on the road, get get into the season, and 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 see where they're at, as opposed to all this crazy hype that I love because I'd rather be on the good side of the hype, but I just want to see things even out. I think for me, the biggest takeaway, mainly from Friday, is that it was probably very good for that clubhouse to be shown and reminded that quickly you're never out of a game, right? As as much as it is for a jittery fan base who's like, oh, already, like, and, and people forget how long a baseball season is and how it's much harder to stay even keeled. It's more important in baseball to stay even keeled because the season is so long. There's 162 games where in football especially, but even to an extent in, in hockey or basketball, with a season half as long, you can kind of you know, freak out a little more, right? Like, but baseball's just so long. And to be shown on night one when you're getting kicked around and there's 50,000 people in the building and the fan base is already now starting to wonder, was this overblown? To come all the way back and get to walk away going, yeah, okay. Like, that stroke we had last year, that feel, everything that was going right for us last year, it's still here and it might be even better. Um I think that's important to take that away on night one instead of just like kind of going, ah, fuck, and losing that game 8-2 or whatever. But even if they come back after that and win the next two to take the series, I like that instead you had that explosion on day one, came all the way back and said, no, this is still what we do. I think that can be good for their confidence moving forward. Tone setter. Yeah. Yep. I, I get that. And, and it is good. They are. They have the feel of of that classic like beer league team that's stacked up with ringers, right? Like they, they just have this where, and it was an interesting thing that, that Buck said when they talk about the amount of, of sort of right-handed hitters versus lefties in the lineup mm-hmm. and how, you know what? Good hitters are just good hitters, yeah. right? And if you can load up enough guys who are, Hey man, I, I don't care. It's not like, you know, Bichette, Guerrero, Hernandez, Springer. Like, it's not like you're pulling any of these guys out. Because, well, we don't, that guy doesn't play against. No, they're not you know, getting pinch hit for for some lefty slug third catcher. Right. That guy's not coming at the right. He's yeah. hard on the right. You know? So yeah. it's when you, when you start loading up with enough of those guys and you're fine. Good hitting hits, hits no matter where. Right. So uh, I agree with you. And, and I'm just, I'm feeling a bit, and it's not so much the team as opposed to the big glossy yeah. sell job of it. And I, and, and I get it. They're looking to bring back other fans, right? They're not looking to bring me back because I'm already here. But, but I'm kind of like, oh my god, I need to brush my teeth because sugary feels sweet. Like I'm getting a, yeah, feels like I'm getting a cavity from this. So, um, whatever happens today, and I'll, I'll follow this along as we're on air. Yeah. Um, but I am, I am very interested because you know, as soon as Ryu's now off the mound and gone, I'm interested to see what happens with Alec Manoa tomorrow in in New York and. And Kikuchi the next day, like I, there's some interesting things to to watch for as this goes. And the bats are not the the issue. It's to me, it's arms all the way out, right? How this goes. Well, I think that was one of and, the problems. My- 
Sorry, go ahead. Clearly, my, my Jordan Romano sprained ankle is way overplayed. <laughs> His 12 weeks out of the lineup, you know, he's he's only got two saves in the first two games. So um, I'm going to put my DeVry. Um, yes. <laughs> Serious <laughs> Medical success. degree up on the shelf. Right. I wonder, you know, for me coming out of this one and heading into New York, and after the first week or so, it doesn't matter. Guys get hurt, guys get skipped, guys get rested. You just, the, the rotation rolls out as it does. I would have considered, and maybe it's too cute, you can kind of offer your opinion here. I probably would have switched Kikuchi and Gosman, maybe. Because I'm not worried about Manoa at Yankee Stadium. He, his attitude is what it is, and... um you know, he actually made his first ever career start at Yankee Stadium, did fine. I am a little worried about the way you say Kikuchi pitches and running that out into New York at uh, at Yankee Stadium for your first series. I might have just, you know, thrown him in there second at home and and faced Texas instead and trusted Gosman to go uh, either four or five at Yankee Stadium. Again, you can kind of do this when you're setting up at the beginning of the season or coming out of the All-Star break. For the most part, it gets hard during the season to switch and mix and match until the very end when you're trying to set up for a possible playoff series. But I do wonder if maybe, you know, and I do get it. You, in theory, you want to kind of run it out in order, right? He's your big signing and show him to the home fans. Would you have considered pushing him to to Yankee Stadium and, and holding Kikuchi back? No, I, I I understand what you're saying, and and it makes sense. It does, right, that you'd like to build your your rotation for the early season starts, right? Yeah. But I, you got to know that, A, for the fans, and perhaps to the Gaussman camp, right, that you're, you're yeah. saying, hey, Here's, man, You're our number five. You're a front of rotation guy. Nah, we're going to slap you in in the five. Now, again, you're five. It's like your nine hitter. When Devo used to, in the, in the old days, used to hit in the nine hole. Yes. It really, at certain points, just becomes like another leadoff guy. But And he would it, understand why. Uh, yes. Like, we're actually giving you the bigger game, but right. still. Yeah. yeah. And, and it does come down to, you know, Kikuchi came from Seattle as an American League team. He's he's been to Yankee Stadium. Oh it's sure, not, it's not like we're bringing in a guy from the from from the Nippon League, right? Who's <laughs> just like uh, gonna gonna roll in here and be surprised. Um, so, I, while I understand what you're saying, I also think it's probably overthinking it to a certain extent. Could be. Uh, let's talk a little bit of puck. Uh, a couple of things here. We don't have to spend a ton of time on, but. Ryan Getzlaff retired this week, captain of the Ducks, and there was some talk, I guess, last year um, that Montreal came knocking, Vegas and Dallas, I guess, both came knocking to see, you know, as a trade deadline acquisition as a rental before he re-upped this year, would he be willing to come there? But he does end up sticking around, retiring a career Duck. He does flex a little, use a bit of that stroke. There are, uh, his last game for the Ducks will be their their last home game of the season. The team then leaves for two road games, and he's kind of gone, nah, it's fine. I don't need to be on that trip. Um, <laughs> so good for you, I guess. Um, but he's an interesting guy, man. He, he won a cup very early on in his career, a couple Olympic gold medals. But actually, when you go back and look at his stats, never quite as dominant as I thought right. maybe earlier in his career he was. I, I don't think, as I have it here, ever had a 100-point season. Um, never like a 40, 50 goal guy, always very good. He certainly helped Corey Perry become 
a 40, 50 goal guy. Uh, what kind of legacy or like, what do you think of when you think of Ryan gets laugh here? Well, and, and it's, it's one of those, it's really interesting because as you say, he's, he's got, he's one of those, I've got everything guys, right? Like he's won everything. World junior as well. Yeah. Yeah. Olympics, world championships. That like infamous Grand Forks team. Yeah. Like he's just got everything and more of a pass first guy. Um, great head of hair. Yes. Looking, looking good, Ryan. <laughs> um, my memory of him on CBC after they, they beat the senators for the cup is him is him telling uh, I don't know whether it was Scott Russell or Scott Oak one of the two saying we worked our cocks off I do and, and whether it was Oak or Russell saying yeah yep you can say that on TV yep and just <laughs> sort, of, sort of rolling along right and so um, he he is one of those guys in the Daniel Alfredson vein of very good. I had a feeling that right. name was going to come up. Right, but but two, two guys that I don't think are Hall of Famers. Right, I, I think Getzlaff is a man, and, and, and you tell me, and this is anecdotal, in the last five years, that guy sort of felt like he was kicking around, you know, stringing out the, the end of his career. And then with the early first half of this season, with, with sort of his work with the young, with the young Ducks, Mm-hmm had this sort of mentorship and a resurgence with as, you know, uh, the Zegris and the Troy Terry's when he's not getting punched out, um, helping them to another level. Right. And so it's like, he sort of hit a little bit of a, a late season, late, late career resurgence. But to me, he's, he's a, he's a very good player, which means he'll probably get into the hall of fame, but he's not a hall of famer in my opinion. When I look at him and when you played against him and whatever, I think I I would largely agree, not a Hall of Fame player. But when you start to, you know, you have the two Olympic golds and you do have the cup and you do have the the world juniors. and so, Like, I would be curious to see how many of those triple gold guys aren't in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, that does seem to be worth something. And I, I'm not, uh, you know, we can have the, the debate. I don't have all the stats here in front of me, but I... I I don't necessarily disagree that he's probably not a Hall of Famer, but at sometimes being around those teams helps your case a little bit, right? Like Alfie doesn't have the cup. He does have an Olympic gold medal. Um, it's a reasonable yeah. comparison, right? Alfie's always going to now be one of those guys who's kind of right there on the, well, was he better than Alfie kind of thing to get in or, or out? And, and, and I believe Alfie has more points. That right? wouldn't in surprise terms- me in terms of how it all ends out and, and we can talk about the Calder and whether that's a major trophy or not, but gets also. Yeah. And I'm, and, and I, I don't mean this isn't a, an Alfie gets comparison. I just mean in terms of gets like he was never a top five player in the league no. at any given point where you didn't go. Yeah, that guy's a, so no major awards. And again, these, these conversations always come down to, it feels like you're, you're slandering the guy, yeah. and, and I don't mean that because he's had a great career, right? But, um, you know, it's funny to look at that duo um, of Perry and Getzlaff, and, and you go, yeah, oddly enough, Perry's the only one to have won sort of the the award between the two, right, in terms of a rocket and, yeah. and a heart. Did he win a heart? I don't remember if he won a heart. I know he has a rocket. Uh, well, I'm thinking it was in the same year. Sure, that would make sense. Uh, one of the things out of this 
duo, you kind of described it there, and it sort of bookends his career a little bit. When they win that cup in 07, he and Corey Perry and Dustin Penner um, are kind of really young guys. Like, and they're kind of, I don't want to undersell what they did, but you know, they're kind of the second line and they still have Timu Solani doing his thing. Right. And Scott Niedermeyer and Chris Pronger. And that group sort of turns it over to, it becomes gets laugh and Perry's team. And then as you say, towards the end here, Gets laugh is around to kind of turn it over to uh, to Zegris and Troy Terry and Sam Steele and and these guys and see what Cam Fowler yeah and see what that's going to look like um, in the future. Let me hit you with this because Ryan Getzlaff was part of one of the most famous drafts of all time in two thousand three. Um, those are the guys who do all end up on that stacked Grand Forks uh, World Junior Team. You see huge representation on the twenty ten Olympic team. Like it's a class that kind of moved through together but a bunch of those guys are starting to disappear and retire i want to hit you with a bunch of names that are still in the league from that 03 draft and i want you to tell me who's going to be the last man standing who will be the last to retire from that group uh we have here from the 03 draft uh patrice bergeron louis erickson ryan Souter, Corey perry mark andre fleury brent burns dustin brown jeff carter Joe Pavelski and Zach Parise. Oh, and uh, actually, I just found here just before we started the show, Brian Boyle back in the league this year. So uh, also part of that 03 draft. Some big names who've had big careers and they're all to varying degrees kind of winding it down or running on fumes or some guys still playing key roles there. Bergeron's going to win another (laughs) Selkie this year. Um, But there's some names there, man, that are going to start to disappear here over the next couple of years. Well, and and it's interesting because... As you're as you're running them off, take out take out. Did you say Flurry? Yep. Flurry, take out Flurry and Bergeron, and I think the rest of oh maybe Dustin Brown. The rest of them have been bought out. You're like buy out, buy out, buy out, buy out. Yes. Um, A lot of that going on. Yeah, Suter, Parise, Perry, Pavelski. You're just sort of. Um, yeah, I think... Well, some still pretty productive, right? Like, Pavelski's having a great year again. Um, Ryan Suter, he was no longer worth the contract that Minnesota had given him. Yeah. But what they're paying him on a three-year deal now in, now in Dallas to be like a second-pair guy, he's fine there. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, and, and it's it's interesting. You threw so many names at yeah. me. It's it's It comes down to... Yeah, and there's guys like Perry who, with his buyout... He's like, yeah, all right. And he just keeps going and signing contracts and places for a mill and and, yep. and taking runs at things, right? Went to uh, Dallas. I believe he was in Dallas. And yep. then he went in Montreal. And now he's got a two-year deal at a at a mill or wherever it is to play in Tampa. And you're like, yeah, man, I'll play down here. And, and so uh, it's a great question. I don't think it's – I get the feeling that – I, I want to say Patrice Bergeron – but there's so much talk about him. I wouldn't be shocked if he was done this year. Now, maybe that's, that's a little what, wishful thinking as a Leaf fan. Yeah, but that but, is what you hear, right? Yes, there's yeah. a lot of people saying, oh, maybe this is it for him. And I, But, man, if you look at his at his, at his his workload and, and, and his output, the guy is just still doing it. Like, he of all yes. those players you've named is... He's the best is, still going. Is the best still going. Maybe... And f- and it, well, and again, I guess Pavelski is still having a great year. <laughs> And Mark Andre Fleury again, like I don't. To me, I think if you made me bet on somebody, it might be Ryan Suter, 
because he's still he's on a three year deal, so you know he's going to play that out, and his style of play, and if he's willing to do what some of these guys kind of do later in terms of chasing a cup and wants to. Like, that guy's going to have value, I think, for a very long time, even if it becomes on a third pair, like a million, a million and a half. I could see him playing another five or six years. Well, and, and I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and, and because he is and has spent so much time as an easy skating mm-hmm. defenseman, and if you're asking him to play 17 to 19 minutes, and dude used to play 30 minutes yes. on, on the regular. And so, yeah, if you... If he's somewhere in there as a as a four five six, as you say, chasing a chasing a cup, yeah, I, I think he's probably as good an option as any of those guys. I guess if we want to play the technicality, Shea Weber's contract has four years left on it. He will not be in the league, but his contract will be, so he's technically active. But uh, yeah, no, so uh, so is Chris Pronger, or is that just <laughs> ended, or Marion Hosa? Like, somebody just said Marion Hosa just retired, and I'm like, what? Yeah, like, just I guess just signed a one day contract to come and and retire, yeah. or have his uniform itchy was jersey. Was, was that with the Blackhawks? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it was interesting when they. Yeah. What a what a guy. What an. I hope your skin's good, Marion. Uh, Doug Wilson. This is a little gray. Stepping away. Uh, he had already stepped away for, I believe they were saying medical reasons earlier yep. in the season. Um, but he has been running the show in San Jose for as long as I can remember. And um, so they're going to have a new look, even though it has already started. It will be official next season. Someone else will be running the show. Uh, Friedman said on the 32 Thoughts segment on Hockey Night on Saturday that um, San Jose is not in a rush. If they have to wait for the Stanley Cup final to be over to get to their guy, they will. Um but the Sharks, to me, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think Doug Wilson's legacy is and what kind of job he did. Because along with St. Louis and Washington, for the longest time, there were these teams that every year you could make a case, man, they're right there. Like, they're one of the favorites. And eventually Washington broke through. And then the next year, St. Louis breaks through. And San Jose never did. But f- like oh four, I believe it was. They took a run to the conference final um, and played Calgary in that uh, that conference final. Every year after that, they were basically a contender. I think there was one blip where they missed the playoffs one time in like 2015 or something like that. But otherwise, in the mix all the time, but never got over the hump. And so, as a general manager, did you do your job? You you made your team competitive and always in the mix always a favorite at the same time you never got the job done what is what do you think of doug wilson's time with the sharks well and i know you know the answer so give the good listener a chance to i don't actually to to, to think well i haven't even asked it yet oh um to, oh i thought you meant of, i know the answer t- that oh, you're no, going to no, give no i'm gonna lob <laughs> i'm gonna lob the question at you and like okay. i said i know you'll have you'll have heard it seen it whatever else but for those who haven't right only two teams in the 20 years or 19 years that Doug Wilson was GM of the Sharks, only two franchises have more wins in that 19-year period than the Sharks. Can you name them? No. I've, Washington and Pittsburgh? Yes. No. Oh. Sorry, I was going to say yes, guy. But uh, <laughs> no, the, the, the 2000s, the odds portion of the year were not kind to the Capitals. 
That's true. Right? Yes, yeah. As the run up to the Ovi thing. But yes, Pittsburgh is absolutely one. And the other is an Eastern Conference team, which was, I was like, leaning, nah, not Chicago, not the court, nah, not at Los Angeles. <laughs> no, it's, it's an Eastern Conference team, not the Caps. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning, Boston Bruins. Boston. Fuck the Boston Bruins. Sick <laughs> of the Boston Bruins. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of those guys. Yes. Okay, so you, you you hadn't seen that stat. Nope, nope. Um, and, and if you look at some of the trades, right, the, the the fleecing of the Bruins on that Thornton trade and the bringing in of the Burns, like to me there's been some good stuff happening out there. Well, Heatley was good the, when they first brought him in, right? Like the Carlson one hasn't worked out, but he did go and that take Danny his Heatley swings. guy yeah. too. <laughs> Just everybody out here voicing their beefs with... But, Displeasure. Yeah, but he would go and take his swings for these big names, right? And was not afraid to try. Sometimes it didn't yeah, work. And, <laughs> and, and But they were that good and, for that long and didn't get over it, right? So, um, and, and he will be, it's that recency bias where you look at, he's stepping away and, and he, it is for health concerns, mm-hmm. but he has made it known I'm stepping away from San Jose, but I'm interested right. in coming back to work somewhere else. Um, and I get it, Doug. You're looking at you're looking at what's left there and the mess and, I've and the, left here. Yeah, the recency bias, which is you know the contracts left on Carlson and Burns and Vlasic and, and Vlasic, and you know you've had to buy out Jones and all these just. Yep. What's left there is it looks, and then they've given Hurdle the the money, and, and you just sort of go, ah, uh, and and when you say they're waiting, doing the long run, it was Merrick, I think, in the thirty two thoughts who said, you know, JFJ John Ferguson Jr. is is, is have at the, it, yeah, well, and you got to think we're waiting because yeah, all right, I, I see that's there, but anybody else that'll still be there in June if I'm, we need it. I'm looking over <laughs> shoulders. Anybody else? Like, anybody yeah. Like, no. All right, JFJ. Yeah. So it's um, I think his legacy will be a good one. Ultimately, at the end, I think a big no part problem. of this, right, is uh, we talked before about the goal of the Leafs being stay good for as long as you can. That's what the Capitals did. That's what the Blues did. It's hard to do this, and you need a little bit of luck. You need a little bit of help, and eventually, those teams stayed good long enough, retooled around their core that eventually they were able to get it done. And it seems like for the most part, for 20 years, Doug Wilson kept that team very good, but never quite good enough. And yeah, you wonder, did he fail to get them that one last piece they needed or was the makeup, you know, did they just fall short? It It's an interesting legacy, man, because that was one of those teams for like a decade from like 07 to 17, you could pick as a Western Conference favorite. And people go, yeah, okay, I could see that. And they just never quite found the way. So he's a, it's going to be a complicated one for him, I think. Well, and you tell me, and, and to me, it's, it's, it's a very, if you look at the last six years of Toronto Maple Leafs, whatever it is, right? <laughs> no, no, and, and I, I'm, this isn't a piling on. This, is, this team is right sort of in that, to me, in their, in their sweet spot. And you go, would you like, would you like to win a cup? in the next two years and then sort of hit a more immediate decline or would you rather stay good for the next 10 years and never win a cup? No, you want the cup, of course. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. And so at the end of the day, yeah, you want the cup because you look at the penguins, they hit those played for two cups, 
won one in sort of nine ten, whenever that was. Yeah, two thousand nine. And then you know they sort of hit the hit a lull, still making the playoffs, still around, and they sort of hit this. Hey, we're back. Yep, back to back cups in seventeen and eighteen, and. And so you can never really say when you have Malkins and Crosby's and to a lesser extent, a Letang, mm-hmm. that that your window was ever really closed. But yeah, I would rather, I'd rather have a really bright five, six, seven years, hit a rebuild, but have a, have a cup to my, to my franchise's name than, than a 20 years of, of sort of. Well, so how are, are you suggesting that at some point, 2011, 2012, 2013, you should have gone, yeah, Kate, and just tore it down and started over. This group isn't going to get it done. Is that sort of what you're alluding to? I think I think when you see the odometer on your Pavelskis, your Thorntons, your Marlows, when when that starts to Yeah, you gotta say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make that bold move and we're gonna we're gonna move them out and try and refresh on the go. Cause because it was after that that they had their closest one, right? Like they were, they did face Pittsburgh in seventeen, and and you know in the final, um, when maybe you'd have thought the window was closing, right? I, yep, yep. And that that is that that thing that you know the the body does before it dies, right? It sort of hits that <laughs> one last twitch. Hey, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's it's interesting to say. Uh, and, and we'll keep in the same comparison, right? The Toronto one, and, and say Toronto is a hockey market. We can we can sell the rebuild or the Rangers market, whatever it is, yep. right? The belief there that that at least Doug Wilson had and the ownership group there has that maybe that the San Jose market can't sustain a rebuild. They're, they will not accept that. They like, said there was like, one year earlier on, like early two thousands, where they missed the playoffs and season ticket sales went off a cliff. And from then on, they were like, Kate, like the market won't accept that. And so maybe that was part of the thinking moving forward. We're going to just keep tacking on to this. And towards the end, that's exactly what it was. When you go out and get Carlson, no one expected Carlson to go off a cliff like like he did. But his best days after those injuries were certainly behind him. But they just kept trying, right? We're just, we cannot possibly fully tear this down. We'll We'll find other pieces to keep tacking on. And the longer you do that... You know the the less stable the thing that you're pinning everything else to is is right. It's it gets difficult. Well, and and it's it's easy to use the Chicago analogy because they won three cups. Yes, but that period where from sort of that 08, 09 period again where they started to make conference finals, and then they won their last cup, and they sort of more or less have have been on the slide since, yep. right? But you go. Man, that's seven or eight years of glory and brilliance, and then it's over, right? And they and they have some decisions to make this this off season, right? In terms of the remaining core, do you get something for Kane? Do you decide what you're doing? Because yeah, the the fact that Taves keeps saying, "Hey, I'm disappointed with this sell off," and and you're like, "Yeah, man," but you've done your thing, and and it's gone. That's that's the phrase. Even if Chicago won one, or like LA with their two, and you're like, "That's a great." That's a great period of hockey, and and I'd rather see, I'd rather reach the ultimate goal. But I think hindsight and history will be very kind to Doug Wilson and and his two decades in. They said only two GMs in thirty years of the franchise. Yeah, do you remember who the first GM no, was? No, I don't. I think is it Dean Lombardi? 
Well, that could be, yeah. Sounds right to me. Yeah. I think I think it was Dean Lombardi for the first 10 years. And then, yeah, he flipped it over to, to Doug Wilson. But that is impressive, right? That to me is... I, I'm with you. I, I think even though they never got it done, Doug Wilson... Uh, and again, I get it. Maybe the mix was never quite right, and he does have to wear some of that. But when you keep them in the mix for that long, at some point, you get to say to your guys, hey, every year we go out and get you what you need at the deadline, or we take a swing, we keep bringing in pieces. Um, and these aren't small pieces. Like you said, you ran it down at the top there between Thornton and Heatley and Carlson and Burns. And like, you gave it a shot and kept them good for a long time. I'm with you. I think long-term... He's been very good for that franchise. And in what has become a model franchise in the league, yeah, it's struggling now, but that is a California team. That's not a given that that's going to work. Um, it has been as successful as any franchise for a long time now. Well, and the teal. Yes. Too, like, what are you doing with that? <laughs> like, I never liked it at the beginning. Hated the logo right from the start. Um, really, eh? I don't mind it. It's had an IHL feel to it. Um, <laughs> nice. But... It just sort of you're like ah the teal I don't I don't love that and it's different and it's, I don't hate it yeah well but it's sort of in 30 years eh, I still don't like it okay I was gonna say it's grown on me but it really hasn't I don't I don't love it it's it's not good it's not good but they have put together a market and and we're gonna bring this back to me I, I'm I'm really sad to see Eric Carlson gonna have to struggle through maybe a rebuild out there and how uh, how it goes and. After, After his, his explicit demands yeah. that he did not yes. come to San Jose for another rebuild. It turns yes, out Matt. she did. Yes, and, and that's really, you're really getting, you're speaking to the, the core of me as it is. Oh, man, the way the city uh, has turned on poor EK. Is... Yeah, but again, yeah. And, 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 and but I, I didn't want to trade the guy. Yeah, I would have been happy to pay him eight times 11, you know. Yep. And then they didn't, and now I'm like. Thank God. Oh my God. Yes, guy. And so it's one of those things where you're like, oh, we got a third line center in Josh Norris and a draft pick. Great. And it turns out to be Stutzla and Norris. If that's what we get for Carlson. It's not a bad little return. High fives all around like this. Yep. King of Kensington taking the apple. Old school reference for those of you under the age of 50, probably not getting, but uh, whatever. I've just cracked into the Maple Porter from the uh, Cartwright Springs Brewing Company. And uh, obviously that time of year, right? A lot of maple stuff going on. A lot of, a lot of t- trees being tapped. We're doing the the maple syrup thing. This is nice, man. Uh, now it is coming in at around 8%, which is uh, fun nice. for the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a little bit of that maple sweetness to it. Obviously it says it's going to have a little bit of chocolatiness to it. I'm not getting a ton of that, but uh you know how I am with your your titles and and stuff, and they say this is going to be maple, and it's bringing that. So, so uh, you are getting the maple. Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying this quite a bit. So you know, Friday post work, I took down that um, I believe it was Waterloo, their salted caramel mm-hmm. stout. Not a fan over here, man. No, I eh? not a fan. Of, and again, I, I I am the opposite of you. I I like a. It's too sweet for me. It it was a little too caramelly. Right. For Rob, right? So I drank it, sure. but yeah, too sweet, too sweet for me. So I wouldn't do it, but at 6%, it was a nice post-work uh, decompress. Uh, let's talk briefly, begrudgingly, about the Habs. Um, is this a long enough spell 
since they fired clearly a terrible coach that all Habs fans now agree was a terrible coach, but refused to at the time, uh, and brought in Martin St. Louis. Has this this second half, uh, where they are actually a little above 500, I believe, is it long enough to say that they are, you know, this might be what they are and that, you know, next season will be better if he sticks around? Or is this the ever popular dead cat bounce that happens when the pressure is clearly off and everyone knows you're done? Teams start taking you lightly, you start getting backup goaltenders, the team plays a little more freely. What are we seeing out of Montreal right now? Because they are, like I said, certainly better than uh, eight wins or whatever it was in their first 37 games. Yeah, well, they were never as bad as they came out as. Like, that was, they were never that bad. There were some injuries there. There was a lot of problems there. But I so badly, so badly want to see them give him a three-year contract. (laughs) And when he's got to start out next year with, you know, an aging Petrie, a David Savard, who is terrible. Yeah. And and this is and you're looking at some of these pieces and you're like, yes, guy, we're going with this. Oh man, it's it's it is this playing free and and he is this sort of guru kind of guy where everyone's like, yeah, winner guy, you know, Hart Trophy, Art Ross guy, and Cup winner and guy who whined about, so hard when he was, was left say, off the Olympic team that he demanded a trade. We forget about that no, portion, Matt, because we talk about the character of this guy. And you're like, yeah, he bitched and complained that his 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 GM didn't select him. And you're like, these are the best. Yep. You didn't make it. So now somebody's hurt and we can conveniently bring you on. That is not good character. And then say, I'm leaving and only going to one team. Yeah, I demand to be traded and you will trade me to the team I want to be traded to. So... Uh, I think it's great that he's whispering in the ear of, you know, young stars and in Caulfield and, and like, let's be honest, it's nice what Austin Matthews is doing there, but there's no doubt that Cole Caulfield will be the single season greatest scorer that the Americans have ever produced. That's what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah. So step aside. Based on what? I'm not quite certain, but (laughs) yeah. So to me, I, I can see nothing better than, then him and his no systems rolling into next year with a a lineup that you've removed decent players and will continue to probably remove decent players from um, if you can find somebody willing to take the contracts. This is I, sorry, no, no, no. Go ahead because I was just gonna, I was just wrapping up thinking this is this is not going to go well if you roll back with San Luis. Yeah, and they don't seem to like they seem to be indicating they're not prepared to do a full rebuild but they do understand that they're not going to contend next year and I just it feels to me and I know there's pieces like I assume Romanov's going to be pretty good I assume Caulfield will be fine although certainly not what I was reading last night uh I just (laughs) I don't think they have enough yeah, like Ryan Paling was supposed to be the next guy. He was healthy scratched last night. Like there's a lot that are like, okay, like there's some pieces here, but I don't think they have anywhere near enough. And maybe I'm underselling Suzuki because he's still young enough. Like obviously you're not going to trade that guy. Um, but, you know, we've argued over this before. I'm not sold that he is a a number one 
center long term on a cup winning team. Uh, but there is something to like this does feel like a little bit too long to be the traditional like you said dead cat bounce that happens. Lots of teams in the last 25 games of the year when they're clearly out of it you know, roll off, uh, you know, 17 wins and then sell their fans. See, look, we told you, look, we're going to be so much better next year. And you're like, nope, seen this too many times. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Like, it's been a little bit longer than that with this Montreal team. So I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like. Well, and when you look at it, they're still in last place. That's how deep they had dug that fucking hole. Yeah. So it really comes down to you like, yeah, but... You're still in last, no matter what you've done and how good the vibe at the Bell Center is. Right. And, and people fired up and excited. Um, they didn't look good against Ottawa the other night. Uh, they may have played a, a decent game against Toronto on Saturday they night. They did, yep. Um, and and people keep saying they're holding out the Carey Price card. It, it's, it's still out there. I don't think he's ever playing for them again. If it is, it's just long enough to prove that he can be traded. I fully expected it to see him last night, to be honest with you. Really? Just knowing that he's been practicing and whatever, and, you know, the for the storyline, if nothing else, Matthews is going for the 50 and 50, which is also apparently fake, um, against Carey Price now, right? Uh, could he come back, tell the story for Montreal fans that he kept that from happening, right? That could have been a, I, I, I do. I think Carey Price will play this year. I, I think he's got to know for himself, can I keep going? Am I healthy enough to do this? Or, you know, it sounds crazy. Am I calling it a career, right? Like he's been through some shit here now. And, um, I think he gets into a couple of games this year. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, last night would have been, I think there would have been way more hype and, and, and news about it. In a run up, I'm to yeah, and I'm talking about Tuesday, Wednesday this week. I was sort of thinking, I bet you, you know, when you're seeing you skating and practicing again, I wouldn't be shocked to see him Saturday. Obviously, that didn't come to pass, and and Jake Allen was unable to stop the uh, the unstoppable. Yeah, and sorry, can we can we you just, you touched on something interesting there, and, and I love when I do that, and you just sort of slid right by it. The fifty and fifty. Yeah. What what are you talking about? Well, since talking it, about Austin Matthews scoring fifty goals in fifty games yes. in season, yeah, doesn't that's count. Not, doesn't count. That's, yeah, I was just gonna say that's not part of the record. Well, record for what? Like no one said it was a record, just that he had done. No, no. But you said fake news or fake stat or whatever you said that was yeah. as you slid by it. So Austin Matthews has now scored fifty-one goals in his last fifty games. Yeah. But apparently, that's only a thing if you do it a in the first. 50 games of the season yeah. and you're not able to just acknowledge that in his last 50 games he scored 51 goals which is oh, a th- pretty I, good I pace I think it's absolutely acknowledged but it's just one of those things where you're like why to the, to it the hasn't back. been done in 26 years yeah yeah I get it a, a defenseman scoring 100 points hasn't been done in 30 years either we're likely to see that yeah and that's why to me the Hart Trophy race is down to Austin Matthews and Roman Yossi what happened to what happened to Shesterkin? He had a bad three weeks, and that was the end of him. I see him, man. <laughs> yeah, and and again, the, as I've said to you, to me, there's no doubt that the Matthews. I expect that guy to score every game. Every game, and I think he has. Basically, since, has. <laughs> since That's we the whole point in his last I, fifty I, games. <laughs> bring it, bring it from October, Austin, or shut Why? the hell up. Because that's the, that's the measuring stick of what in a fifty of the fifty games? and fifty. 
That's what it is. No, it is not. That's ridiculous. Okay, I'm going to choose. Hold on. I'm going to choose to take these 50 games only. No one is saying it's a record. We are acknowledging he has scored 51 goals in 50 games. That's it. But that's the truth. But because he also took two games off after cross-checking someone in the throat, uh, those aren't a straight 50. No one's saying this is Mike Bossy. But it's just as arbitrary to say in the first 50 games of the season you scored 50. What if you only scored nine after that? Yeah, we call that the Duclair. I'm just saying, man. No one's saying he's Mike Bossy or Wayne Gretzky or whatever. But it is noteworthy. It hasn't been done in 26 years. That's literally a generation. No one has done this. What has not been done? Scoring in in the National Hockey League over the course of 50 games has scored 50 goals. That has not been done in 26 years. Any period in the season, we're just that's right. Times all right, and again, I'm not, I'm not. You are. You're being weirdly obtuse about it. I'm not. We just got to cherry pick. Yeah, these games. Forget about those games. Okay, then why didn't nobody else do it? Why didn't Ovechkin do it? Why didn't McDavid? Because it's fucking hard, man. Yeah, I get it. I'm not. I'm not saying he didn't score the fifty, but it, to get to fifty and fifty, the Richard, the Gretzky, the Neely, whatever those are, you got to do it in the first fifty. Why? Because that's it, why is that not just as arbitrary? Because it's to start the season. That's what it okay, is. So that one is he scored fifty goals in his first fifty games. Why is that any more impressive? So who was the last guy to do it? Mario Lemieux in 1996, which I think we touched on last week. Well, we did, we touched on... He finished the season with 69 in 70, but over the course of 50 games, he scored uh, 50 in 50. Anyways, it, to me, I, I got... Hey, the guy's having a killer season. I am not detracting from that. Sounds a I just, like he's detracting. No, what it sounds <laughs> a little bit like is, is Leaf fans finding some way to get horny about the whole thing. When, and hey, we man, shouldn't. We shouldn't be excited that this is happening. In this. You should be excited that he's on this killer clip. Exactly. And we all walk away going, look at that guy. And that's it. We don't need to bring up he scored 50 in these games. So we, just never hear, we never I, hear about it up until now. Because no one else has done it. That's the point. It's been 26 years since anyone has cut this pace over any 50-game span. That's relevant. So did, did Lemieux in that whatever number? It was not 50 in his first 50. It was 50 in 50. Right. That's so, why. We, so Lemieux's don't. The, he had a shit year, too. Those don't count. They don't matter. Mike Bossy did 50 in his first 50. That also is awesome. But it's just another group of 50 games. Agreed, but it happens to be the consensus is first 50. That's it. That's it. The rest don't count. No, the rest count. They just don't count in the record. Why are they? Okay. No, what I'm asking you is why are that? Why is that? Why is what Matthews and Lemieux did less impressive than what Mike Bossy did? Why does the timing matter? Showing up on day one, ready to go. (laughs) Matthew showed up on day one with a broken wrist. He's still doing something that hasn't been done in 26 yeah, yeah. years. And again, nobody is saying, hey, Lemieux, you're 69 goals. Trash. 
Austin Matthews, you're 60 plus, you're going to score this year. No good. Nobody's saying that. But the one is more important because he did it on day one. And the total is the most important thing. I like really to me, we can talk about Gretzky's 50 and 38, whatever, right? 39. 39. It's fine. We can, we can talk about all that. It is fine. It's a pretty good job. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying it's, it's what we've always used as the barometer, but not now. Not now because Austin Matthews has done it. I think this is weirdly obtuse. I'm surprised you're actually taking this stance. I 50 over 50 is amazing. Is is amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. But it's not just, as amazing as 50 in the first 50. It's just not talked about in the same way. Well, maybe that's you, because no one has done it in 26 years. Yeah, but I don't think, I, I can't remember. And being old enough, I don't remember, I don't remember Lemieux getting a pile of 50 and 50 talk at that point either. Well, there was less Twitter and Sportsnet and sports and, talk and radio. And audio. Man, a world without TCA. Depressing. I'm not sure what's happening there. Yeah. Get your shit together and get started, guys. <laughs> get after it. Hey, Ed, in the seventh, it's now 12-6 Rangers. Super. Um, why don't we talk briefly, unless you had anything else, uh, we'll close this out with a little UFC Unless you had anything else on the NHL. I, I do not. Oh, but just actually, yes, I do. Okay. And, and I've, it's, it's, it can be as short as we need it to be. That whole Western Conference Pacific Division, it seemed like just a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about Edmonton not making the playoffs. Yep. Man, they look like they're not only firmly entrenched in that second spot, doesn't matter. It's not the first games. But they look like they're going to get Los Angeles maybe in the in the first round. Like we're talking now about an Edmonton team going from not making the playoffs to second. To to likely making the second round. Like I, to me that that is that that LA Kings team is you got to be licking your chops at that. I was going to say like it almost feels like a gift. Calgary is going to get I don't know, maybe Nashville, maybe St. Louis. Um, maybe Minnesota. Yeah. I don't remember what, like to me, those seem tougher than what Edmonton's going to draw from second. LA is having a great year, but we do this all the time, right? With a young team and a bunch of teams, like rebuilding, they have some pieces. Doughty's done it before. Kopitar's done it before, but they're going to come in with a bunch of young guys on their kind of rebound into the, the playoffs. And it just feels like maybe you won't be quite as prepared as some of the teams that Calgary may have to go up against in terms of experience. Right, crossing over maybe into the, into some of that central division, which yeah. they're playing some heavy. Well, because Vegas is fading too. Dallas is Dallas has been all right, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, it just seems like if I was Edmonton and you asked me about any of these teams we're talking about, the Calgary might get. I'll go give me LA. I think. <laughs> yeah, and and, and that's really because to me they were they scuffled for so long at the end under Tippett and. And you're like, oh, it would be nice if they didn't make the playoffs. Why? Because you're spiteful and no Hell other yeah, reason. For sure. But yeah, they have put themselves in a spot. And, and I haven't been paying a pile of attention to them other than checking the standings and going, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. And they're up over 90 points. And you're like, you got McDavid is, is eclipsing 100, which those are, those are whatever because you expect those things to happen. But yeah, that they're going to draw themselves into a spot where <laughs> like, Drysidle has already crossed fifty and a hundred, 
and he's eight goals behind somebody, so nobody's talking about it. Yeah, like, well, I told you that last time when we talked yeah. about Austin with his his hitting 50 and, and whatever else, and you're like, yeah. And then at that point, when we talked about it, he was... He was only like two behind. Was or two behind. Yeah. And you're like, but it seemed like a footnote. Yeah, to old the, news. To, Someone else to, already to did the it. story, right? Yeah. And Kreider, I don't know where Kreider is, but he's... He's tight to 50. Yeah, he's, I think he hit 49 there on Saturday. So yeah. he's going to be right there. But it's just interesting because for poor Dreisaitl, McDavid already had gotten to 100 points and Matthews had already gotten to 50 goals and everybody's just sort of like, well, sorry, Whatever. man. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so to me, it's just so interesting. I so want to see Vegas not make the playoffs. I, it's, it's, it's it almost, looks like you're going to get your wish. It's almost unhealthy. Yeah, because at this point, they are out of it. Yeah. And both Nashville and... And Dallas, Dallas yeah. have two games in hand. Yep. And so you're like, the clip that Vegas would have to go on to get in is is sexy, attractive, delicious. It's all those things, right? So um and- Do you think if you're Edmonton, would you be are you prepared to sort of run this tandem the way they're doing in the regular season in the playoffs? Because it looks like like it sort of seems like Koskinen is fine in relief, like one game a week kind of thing, and he can handle that and looks pretty good, but he's not if you hand him the ball. And Mike Smith appears to no longer have the the legs to be able to to do that. Like you may have to go Smith starts games one and two, Koskinen yeah. gets three. Smith goes four and five, caught like yeah. are you prepared to do that? Yeah, Koskinen two in a two in a seven game series, I think, or a six game series. Oof, is, is, man. But that I think that is optimal. You're you're talking about a team that that is that is the Achilles heel, right? Yep. And worst case scenario, they need to bubble wrap Mike Smith <laughs> down this last 10 game stretch and hope that he can start. Because I think if they roll in with a healthy goaltending tandem, that I, I think they can, they can realistically look towards a second round series. Like I think it's, it's whereas if, if Smith goes down, anything happens to Smith in this next 10 oh, games. Done. And you're rolling in with Koskinen. No, he may give you a we'll go to Skinner at that point. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying that to me is one of those things that I'm, I've meant to bring it up for probably last weekend, anyways. Yeah. As you look at it, and you're like, ah, that's that's super interesting. How it's they've just sort of, in my opinion, quietly slid. Oh, they've through. been unreal since Woodcroft took over. Like, <laughs> Well, see, and that's another guy, right? Give that guy a big contract too, and we'll see what <laughs> happens with with that goaltending unless they can figure that out. Well, the Oilers have been far better under him than the Habs have under, under yeah, Saint yeah. Louis. But well, okay, they also have. Yeah, it's a slightly different roster. <laughs> right, and you, when you look at what they have up front, and you're like, that team is... When you're also hearing way less about Evander Kane, who is actually playing pretty well, but no one wants to compliment him, but everyone's also sort of done ripping the Oilers over it because the, the news cycle has passed, right? The the outrage period is is over, and he's doing his job right he's playing pretty well but he's still kind of a piece of shit and the Oilers kind of look like shit for signing him yeah yeah well and it's it's one of those things where the 24-hour news cycle is long long ago but that has really helped as we talked about when they did it that has pushed everyone down into better positions right it's allowed them to balance things out a little better um and and just kind of have that set up a little closer to what they would have drawn up. Now, I'm not sure what's happening with Nugent Hopkins right now and, and what that's going to look like, but uh, yeah, it's 
the Oilers have had three distinct seasons here inside this one year. The the world beating start, the can't beat anybody middle, and now right back to to just tearing the league apart again. Well, and to your point, when's the last time you've heard of any Evander Kane outside of that's the what Edmonton I'm saying? Market? Yeah, yeah. Nothing. I think I, I think we're going to be getting that. I meant to bring it up earlier with Pete Walker and the Blue Jays. He was the pitch whisperer. He's the genius. He's fixed everybody. I think this year on TV, you're going to hear the pitching staff has done a nice job with. You're going to hear more about, uh, I think it's Matt Bushman is the the second guy. Like, I, I just think in general, the coaching staff has done a nice job. I think we may sing less praise of Pete Walker, but it's still the exact same thing. Well, and it's it's interesting when... I was, I, I'm not sure after the opening ceremony, I was ever aware how many people on a baseball staff, like, holy Christ, man. There assistant was a massage of, therapist. Yeah. Fourth <laughs> yeah. assistant, whatever. And you're yeah. like, holy Christ, man. They are, there's a pile of cake being spent yeah. all the way down the line. And Pete Walker gets a nice little. He did get uh, an ovation. Yeah. So but I think that's sort of where it's at with Evander Kane. Like, yeah, he's here and yeah, he's playing well. I don't want to be the guy who's complimenting him and going over the top about how great he is. But I also don't want to, you know, downplay what he's done. So he's just kind of skating right now, for lack of a better term. So that's just to me in the next two weeks, that's it's worth watching and noting as things sort of start to crystallize in the West that, yeah, Edmonton has sort of pushed themselves into this very comfy spot where not only are they going to finish sort of in a nice spot, but they're going to, they're going to get a nice, they're likely going to get a nice first round draw. And you know what? I think I'm okay with it because I'm actually very, very much down for a second round battle of Alberta. Do it. That'll be fun, man. Uh, on Saturday night, stuck around, stayed awake for, uh, for UFC 273, which actually became one of the latest, uh, you know, finishes to a card ever it was 1 30 in the morning before the main event was over there was that, talk- that is that is due to the unanimous decisions split yes. decisions yes not yeah. a lot of finishes happening on this card and honestly we talked uh when creech and bunda were on for episode 954 that there had been a a, a fight uh calvin gastelum had had to pull out and they tried to rejig it and they just couldn't get it going. And it looked like the main card would just have four fights on it. And that would have been preferable over what ended up happening, but they, you know, pushed one of the prelims on that went the distance as did Dern versus Torres, uh, as did the next two after that. And then the main event finished in the fourth, but it was long, man. It was a long night and at times not an entertaining night. But I did want to comment before we get out of here on the Hamzat Shemaev versus Gilbert Burns fight because that was the one that had drawn all the hype on this card despite the fact that it was underneath two title bouts. And it lived up to the hype and maybe surpassed it because Gilbert Burns, I think the the worst thing that could have happened to the UFC is Gilbert Burns smashes Hamzat Shemaev and just ends this hype train, right? This cash cow that they have going on. I think it's okay if he beats them, but it has to be competitive. This match goes the distance, goes to the judges, but they beat the shit out of each other for three rounds. And you could have made an argument at times that Burns had won, but Shemaev, I think this was good for him, man. You've watched the fight game for a very long time. 
he had torn apart everyone he had faced and never been tagged. Um, in this fight, uh, I, coming into this fight, he had, in any of his first four bouts, he had taken one, just one significant strike. So no one knew, can this guy take a punch, right? Can this guy survive? He takes 109 significant strikes in this fight <laughs> and stayed on his feet, right? He keeps going and he's getting tagged. He's getting hit, but it shows, okay, that part of his game is there too. He's a tough motherfucker, as is Gilbert Burns, who was never going to back down from anybody. Um, and he, he gets just enough. He, he stuffs a bunch of takedown attempts from Burns, who badly wanted to get that fight onto the ground. Um it was a it was a hell of a fight, man. And, and regardless of who you were cheering for or who you wanted to see win it, uh, I think it's good for the UFC that Shemayev did. But no matter who you were cheering for, this is one of those ones that you remember for a long time as being just three rounds. Yeah, there was no finish, but holy crap, that was amazing. Sounds like a fight of the night bonus, and I haven't I haven't checked them out. It was, and actually Dana gave them also uh, gave Burns the the win money because he said anybody else. It's a win, right? Like he gave him his win purse as well. Okay, so, nice. See, yeah. look at that, Dana. Um, but that is, that is, that's a real heads up for Chimaev, right? As he moves forward, right? Because Burns has sort of worked his way to the top, never quite made it, is sort of settling into that gatekeeper kind of position. Yeah, slightly higher. Like he just lost to the champ, right? He faced Usman. He's come closer than anybody else to beating Usman um, and tagged him in the first round of there about and it just about knocked him out and then comes back and loses. So now he's a number two, but I can't fight the champ again. And what do I do? And a lot of people didn't want to fight um, Chimeev as a number 11 because that's going to hurt my ranking if I lose to him. And Usman or Usman, uh, Burns is like, fuck it, I'll fight him. I don't care. And. I can maybe be the guy that stops him, and that would have been good for him too. And now he is back in line for another title fight. In this case, he doesn't get run over. He doesn't get embarrassed, um, but he doesn't win either. But you're right. like He is kind of a, I would say, slightly higher than the gatekeeper because of that number two ranking and, and whatever, but there wasn't really an obvious place for him to go next. Right. And, and yeah, and I get it. But to me, the, the tagging aside, right, I, I, I just... You sort of see where he's at in terms of I'm not sure in a rematch that he it doesn't end the same way, right? And so mm-hmm. it, it is interesting. And so Jemayev can either can either now step up and, and and fill that void now as as a contender and and see if he can learn from that, right? Or yep. if it's or if it is exposing some of his. Of yeah. his game, right? This is this is the spot. Whereas when you fight somebody like Burns, um, yeah, that you are, it reveals a lot, yep. right? Not just to yourself, but to other people, who, you know, on your future cards. Yeah, he, like he did what he needed to do to get the win, right? He showed that he can hang at this level, but he also experienced, holy fuck, this is a whole other level, right? Like I'm getting smashed up here too, and I'm taking shots I've never taken before, and. There was some talk. Dana didn't confirm anything in the post-fight press conference, but one of the things that has been talked about and that he's leaning towards is late in the summer, I believe it is, um, they're going back on ABC for a a card, which we've talked about before, whether or not network TV will ever fully embrace this. But they're talking about perhaps headlining that 
with Colby Covington because they've so, uh, versus Chimaev because they've sort of already promised uh, Leon Edwards the next shot at the title against Usman, and so you don't want to make Chimaev sit around and wait until probably the end of the year after that one happens in June or July. So put this hype train right. Put this kid that is making got everybody talking against Colby Covington, who can talk a big game. He's an extremely hateable guy. Like, <laughs> no trouble for him to to make people want to watch him get punched in the face. And he's very good. Another top yeah. four guy in the division. So if you put that as the main event on ABC, like that might be another way to take a shot at trying to gain a little more mainstream attention and um, with a very, very impressive main event. Well, and because Covington is, is versatile. Yeah. And, and can bring a bit of everything to it, right? He is that true mixed martial artist. Yeah. So that is that is one of those things where if you can beat Covington, that, yeah. that it does push Jemiah forward, right? So, um, yeah, interesting. Interesting times afoot, right? That division looks looks stronger and stronger with with that addition. And and Jemiah has been that guy where they're like, well, what do we do with that guy? He keeps wrecking people. Yeah. But he's not even in the top 10. And and it's been this sort of slow working its way up, right? And people are saying, well, can we rank this guy higher? Can we? Should we? And and so I think you're going to see him take a big jump in the in the rankings, and, and we'll we'll certainly see where this goes. Yeah, and it'll be good because, um, you know, this uh, this coming weekend on, on free TV, it's a fight night. They have Vicente Luque against Bilal Muhammad, and Bilal is another kid who's on the – on the come, right? And uh and so the that top six or seven or eight is gonna get really crowded uh in that division pretty fast, especially if Muhammad's able to uh to win that fight. The only other thing I'd say, just quickly I'd comment on the main event uh for the featherweight title and Alexander Volkanovsky kind of embarrassed the uh the Korean zombie. It was never close and um to be honest with you, at the end of the third, a lot of people thought the fight should have been stopped. And the referee, you could actually hear on the microphone saying to the Korean zombies corner, I need, to, I need you to protect your fighter. Like, he's telling him, I'm going to stop this if you don't, right? Like, this is not going well. Um, and he could have stopped it at the end of the third. The corner talked to uh, to zombie, gave him a chance, came out in the fourth, uh, but 45 seconds in. Uh, Volkanovsky's teeing off on him again and and uh, Herb Dean just stepped in and said this is over and he was TKO on his feet basically right it, yep. that's the book on on the Korean zombie is he just does not go down he does not quit but he's he was fucked up and it was never close uh, so Volkanovsky's well, kind of continuing to inch his way into that pound for pound ranking now he's 20 row fights in a row undefeated uh, veteran veteran ref yeah right saying this is you're you're gonna have. We'll give you this first minute of the of the fourth round to see what what your fighter can do, and if he can't mount any kind of sensible, reasonable defense, yeah, we're blowing the whistle on this. True. Uh, otherwise, honestly, kind of a you know, Aljamain Sterling beats Piotr Jan. It was fine, um, but this is one of those cards that happens sometimes, right? Where you, it's a bit of a gamble when you throw down your money. Is this one going to yep. be worth it or isn't it? This one, if it wasn't for that uh, that third fight from the top, Chimeyev versus Burns, this one feels like a bust. Uh, but that one probably saves it from feeling, you know, just worth it enough to have bought it. Um, like I said, Volkanovski 
versus zombie was never close. It wasn't worth much. And uh, yeah, the undercard, not so great. The, the Piotr Jan versus Sterling was, was fine, but uh, not particularly exciting. So it happens sometimes fight nights, right? That's, you bet. Anything else for this one, ma'am? No, I think we're good. We'll wind this one down here then. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. Give us a follow on your uh, your podcast app and, and we'll see you next time. See ya. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCanAudio on your favorite podcast app.